Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And I did a bunch of talks, actually four to be exact, on coronary artery CTA, how to do it. And this kind of is actually sort of maybe a fifth and sixth talk when you think about it. And it's a triple rule out. And I had to give this talk looking at whether triple rule outs are a reasonable thing to do or not. So, of course, what is a triple rule out scan would be the first question to ask. A triple rule out scan is a single study where you're trying to evaluate the coronary arteries, detecting the presence of stenosis, looking for aortic dissection, and looking for pulmonary embolism. And a lot's been written about this, some of the earliest literature talking about triple rule outs that it could be cost-effective to be able to look at everything, look at all of the causes, potentially, of the acute coronary syndrome. And it would be in patients who really were uncertain of what was going on. Obviously, most cases, you should be able to figure out whether you're looking for a dissection or you're looking for a PE or you're looking for coronary artery disease, but sometimes you can't. And the primary goal of a triple rule-out CT in the ER setting is to facilitate the safe, rapid discharge of patients judged to be at low to intermediate risk of acute coronary syndrome. And that makes some sense. It's also interesting, a recent article by the same group talking about how coronary CTA is underutilized, while other studies like invasive coronary cath and myocardial perfusion probably are overutilized. And Levin goes on to say in that same article that another advantage of using coronary CTA is that other causes of chest pain dissection, PE, pneumothorax, and the like can all be seen. So again, pushes us to the importance of triple rule out. Now it's important to recognize, of course, if you're doing a dedicated coronary study, your timing is such that it's not a good PE study, and you're also not scanning the entire aorta. So when you do triple rule out, you're really talking about scanning the entire chest, not that focused exam we talk about when we're doing coronary arteries. Now it's interesting, the results in the literature, there's not a whole lot written. You can see I did a quick search. Uh, there's not a whole lot written. So let's see what we can really figure out. Well, it is a technical challenge compared to a coronary, and many sites have challenges with coronaries because if you think about it, it's a larger volume to scan, it's a longer patient breath hold, there's increased radiation dose. We need to figure out how to acquire data sets that basically are about 10 to 12 seconds apart in terms of what would be optimal, that is, what's best for a PE and what's best for aortic dissection, and how do we do one study that really optimizes the visualization of both. And of course, from a reading perspective, there's many more things to read, many more 3Ds to do, so it's much more time-consuming. So let's take a step back and first look at the thoracic aorta in general. Just by some magic numbers, normal diameter of mid-ascending aorta, should be always less than four centimeters, descending less than three centimeters. Good article, Radiographics makes that point. And here's just a chart looking at some of those numbers. CT becomes one of the critical deciding factors in surgery because uh, with thoracic aortic aneurysms in the ascending aorta over 5.5 and descending aorta over 6.5 or growth of more than one CM a year will typically bring you to surgery. We speak about techniques in the thoracic aorta, 
and we'll talk about the different phases. Non-contrast is important. If you're looking for dissection, non-contrast is really good for looking for intramural hematoma. You can see it here very nicely, the high density. If you don't do non-contrast, you can miss an intramural hematoma. You can confuse it with the dissection. You can see, for example, when you look at these two images side by side, how obvious the intramural hematoma is in the non-contrast. And on the contrast-enhanced scan, it kind of looks a little bit more potentially just as some thrombus in the wall. And so you look at it very carefully. Again, when I drop those arrows in there, you really can appreciate the difference in density between the lumen of the aorta and this intramural hematoma and comparing it with contrast. So very, very important thing to recognize, very easy to miss. You can see in this case, when I do the reconstructions, the small ulceration in the arch that really was causing that intramural hematoma. Remember, intramural hematomas are typically managed conservatively. Another example, look at the descending thoracic aorta. You see the high density? You can, in fact, measure it. 70 versus 36 in the native lumen. And of course, when you give the IV contrast time perfectly, uh, now again, and you see the soft tissue, but you really can't tell it's intramural hematoma. Uh, it, it will enhance slightly, but nowhere near what's enhancing in the lumen of the aorta. So it can be very tricky. Intramural hematomas can be short segments, or in this case, can be very long segments. Now, in terms of the contrast, timing is everything. Whether you're doing test bolus or bolus tracking, Either works fine. Preset delays become very tricky because in young patients it's probably okay, but in older patients, cardiac output is variable and it's difficult to get the right timing. So if this was your car, was your um, aortic dissection, everything's on the right side of the heart. You're just too early. It would be a great timing for a pulmonary embolism study. And of course, this is the point I'm gonna make in a moment. What's great for a PE study is not good for coronaries or the aorta. And you can see on the curve here, when you look at just this set of images, pulmonary arteries are beautiful, but then the aorta is not opacified. And by the time the aorta is well opacified, the pulmonary arteries are indeed washing out. What you need to be able to do with a triple rule, of course, is be able to opacify both uh, sets of vessels. In terms of bolus tracking, we always find that if you do bolus tracking, you need to pick a point that's reproducible, where motion artifact is not going to be an issue. Uh, people have used the ascending aorta, people have used descending aorta. Depending on the situation, either will work nicely. The number for uh, triggering with bolus tracking uh, will um, be uh, you know, variable depending on your scanner. With faster scanners, you'll be using a higher trigger point typically. In terms of IV protocols, we, you need to inject really at that four to five cc a second rate, preferably 18 gauge catheter right into cubital fossa. You can use saline chasers. We use Omni 350 or Visi 320. And depending on the scenario, 80 to 120 cc's of contrast, 80 is more likely gonna be the coronaries, 120 is the aorta, particularly if you're doing thoracic and abdominal aorta. Regardless of the scanner, we'll be using thin sections. 0.75 millimeters by 0.5 works very nicely, whether you're doing a 64 slice or even a dual source scanner. 
Now, if you're doing the ascending aorta or you're doing the thoracic aorta, let's put it that way, gating is really ideal because if you're looking at the aortic root, you get around all of the motion artifacts, you get around all the potential problems with pseudo dissection. You also get a free look at the coronaries and often a free look at the aortic valve. The disadvantage of a gated study always is the same. It has a higher radiation dose. But again, in most scenarios, particularly older patients, it's not going to be an issue. Now, sometimes, you know, you see the dissection nicely. Here's a non-gated study. You see a type A dissection. Very nice. The patient's heart rate probably wasn't that high. Patient was cooperative. Very easy to see the type A dissection. Here you can see it up into the arch. And here it is in the sagittal view. And although there is some motion on the sagittal view, it doesn't really detract from you making the correct diagnosis. So in this case, it worked fine. Though one would have to admit, as you get close to the aortic valve and coronary arteries, it's definitely not going to be ideal. You do run into problems like this. Here's a linear line. Is this a dissection or is it not? That's a critical thing because is the patient going to surgery or not? Normally, you see these lines going through the aorta, but you also follow them beyond the aorta. So typically, it's easy to make that diagnosis. And if I can't, then a sagittal view or coronal view will be helpful. But in this case, you know, it's hard because even that sagittal view and coronal view kind of make it look like it's a dissection. And you could argue all you wanted, but if you would gate it, there would be no issue. Okay, and gating things makes life easy. So if you're looking at this case of the aortic root and sinus of Valsalva, which are dilated, there's no issue when it's gated. It's dilated, but there's no dissection. Classic case of Marfan's. And you could track the vessels down to get a good look at the aortic valve. And of course, dilated sinus valsalva, we think of Marfan's, but also Elos Danlos, Osteogenesis Imperfecta, Homocystinuria, and of course, Idiopathic. I mentioned to look at the coronary arteries. Gated studies, particularly in a dual source, heart rate's not that critical. You can easily get a good look at the coronaries at the same time. So if you're evaluating a patient who might go to surgery for a repair of an ascending aorta, you can get the coronaries for free and save one study. So it's cost effective and you can see very nicely here the extensive calcifications and areas of stenosis in the patient's LED. Or in this case, dilated root, now we look at it a bit more carefully. We use cross-sectional imaging to look at the aortic valve. And you can see here there's dilatation post-valve, but when you get down onto the valve, you can see a bicuspid valve. Bicuspid valves are more common in coarctation. Bicuspid valves are more common in Turner syndrome. But bicuspid valves lead to premature atherosclerotic changes in the valve, lead to aortic stenosis, and then secondary dilatation of the ascending aorta. Accuracy for CT, almost 100% when we're looking at uh, bicuspid valves, 94 and 100% sensitivity and specificity. When you do gated acquisitions, you get a really good look at the valve, and so calcifications here, very extensive, very nicely shown, great example of aortic valvular disease. Now, I mentioned before the challenges, and the challenge really to me is this timing issue. As I commented before, what looks great for a pulmonary embolism study, this is a spectacular PE study, is not good for a coronary or aorta study. And here you can see I have the pulmonary arteries beautifully opacified, contrast coming down the SVC, but there's really nothing of contrast usable in the patient's aorta. 
Now, if I want to see the aorta, I need to be able to opacify both systems. So here you can see a good example of pulmonary embolism bilaterally. And again, if I'm going to do a triple rule out and do it well, I need to see these small PEs, in this case with sort of that train track appearance in the right uh, pulmonary arteries. And here it is sort of circled for you. Or in this example where there's multiple uh, PEs and multiple infarcts, again, the importance of timing and opacification cannot be overestimated. If you had huge central emboli, it would not be a problem, but these other emboli really need a high-quality study. So it's important as we think about triple rule-outs, we don't think about compromising. Another example, a chronic PE, they're typically eccentric, but it's something you need to diagnose. Remember, central PEs are typically acute. When it's peripheral or have calcification, then you're talking about chronic PEs. I heard a good talk by Rick Webb talking about PE studies, and I'll just mention some of his comments. Flexible windows, rapid viewing of adjacent levels, looking at soft tissue and lung windows, and looking for the signs from central filling defect to unopacification of an artery to eccentric clot, to abnormality having to be seen on several scans. Remember, any one scan, there could be an issue. And again, also some comments about chronic PEs. Now, I don't want to focus on the PEs, and that's a subject of a different talk, but the point being that these small PEs, look at this case here, these tiny PEs are so dependent on the timing of the acquisition, the accurate delivery of contrast material, that we need to make certain that we don't sacrifice that when we're doing uh, a triple rule out. Now one can argue these small PEs perhaps are not that important. This dots are not clots article does discuss the subject about perhaps these small clots are not significant and they would not need to be managed. Often there's uh, no uh, DVTs, but again, what does that mean? It's something we talk about, but there's nobody that I really know of uh, that is not going to treat a patient. So I think that's not going to be an issue. Now we talk about PEs, we talk about Wells criteria and subject and different ways of looking at PEs. But again, you know, the question is, how do we use things in the ER setting? You know, perhaps we're doing too many PE studies. But again, uh, I'm not going to go through that in detail. But I am going to make the point that again, the proper use of CT for PE is something in and of itself that people ask great questions about. And there are a number of different reasons. One might be the fact that PEs can have a relatively high dose uh, radiation-wise. Okay, so we know PEs, CT's very good. I've showed you examples, but I showed you the difficulty in making the diagnosis. And again, if we're going to do a triple rule out, we got to make certain we don't sacrifice the quality of PE studies. So now we look at rule out dissection. If I'm looking at the aorta and I do timing correctly, I get great timing, right? Look at the aorta. But then with the great timing, look at the pulmonary embolism. You would not be able to diagnose it, though in this case you see a stent that's broken in the pulmonary arteries, but it's not opacified. Again, go back to the curves and we'll look at the curves more carefully. You see here? What looks great for the pulmonary arteries, the aorta is not opacified. If I follow it out every three seconds, you see the washout, you see the aorta beginning to opacify, and when the aorta looks great, the pulmonary arteries look poor. And you can see the washout of the aorta, and now both the aorta and pulmonary arteries are not optimal.
So again, this timing, how do we get both systems are pacified? And really, there's no magic. You need to have more contrast. You need to keep injecting contrast, which is a challenge because when we speak about pulmonary arteries and we speak about the aorta, we'd like to keep the right side of the heart not as opacified. So everything is a challenge. And here's just a good uh, graph showing you that 12-second issue. So when you think about it, when you're doing a triple rule out, you need to perform two or three quality exams in one study. The coronaries, the aorta, but I can put that together, do them both well, they'll scan a longer distance, but the pulmonary arteries. So it's really, that's the challenge. To maintain optimal opacification, you can increase the contrast volume or decrease injection rate to lengthen the transit opacification time. Um, Typically, what we're doing is we're going after injecting more contrast. Again, some of the challenges, fast flash acquisition with high pitch values is ideal. But again, you know, how do you manage contrast? And there's lots of different articles looking at split injections, looking at varying the density of the contrast with the latter half of the injection, which is what we're doing. Don't make it so dense, make it dense enough, but not that it's so dense in the right side of the heart. And there have been a number of different articles, and here's one I mentioned just showing you about the challenge of maintaining image quality while delivering contrast. And there are a number of articles. Here's the one I mentioned before. And I'll just show you the variations in articles. Here's an article where basically they used 95 cc's of contrast as opposed to 70, which they would do if it was only a single phase. Uh, and in that study, they did a pretty good job. The people were fairly uh, happy when you looked at the uh, ratings of the study. It did seem to be pretty good. Okay, so uh, that was back on 64 slice scanners. But again, when you look carefully at their results, 18% of the time uh, there were some issues related to the coronary arteries. So it was really, really not perfect. Now, there are a number of other articles that really address these issues as well. Um, here's an article by Lee making the point. Uh, triple rule out may be very valuable. Again, noting the radiation dose, noting the difficulty in doing the studies. Therefore, in ED patients who have a low clinical suspicion of P or acute aortic syndrome, dedicated coronary CTA, uh, you need to make certain you reduce the dose. Article by Romani, triple rule out, comparable in quality to that of dedicated coronaries. They found no issue. And in their study, you can see what they did is a lot more contrast, longer injection time, and really had a very variable protocol. Another article, Schertler, triple rule out is feasible. Uh, again, here they used a dual source, larger volume, saline, slower injection. Okay. Curry, look carefully at this as well to see how it would fit into the emergency room setting. And they made the point that perhaps, you know, it's not quite ready for prime time, but in speaking to Rick Curry, they are doing that. So they are trying to move it into prime time. Urbania made the point, triple rule out, designed to assess the aorta. Pulmonary arteries and coronaries are a compromise between dedicated protocols for each diagnosis. Uh, they felt we need more outcome trials to really look at this. Um, again, uh, they weren't very positive. 
again, going back to the Curry comment, triple rule-up protocol may be considered if an additional suspicion of P or acute aortic disease is present when using 64 slices or more. So there's lots of disagreement, article by Yoon, while triple rule-up protocols can be useful and potentially cost-effective when used appropriately, concern has risen regarding the overuse of this technology, which could expose the patients to unnecessary radiation and iodinated contrast material. Uh, key thing, of course, as they say, it should not be used as a routine screening procedure. Uh, they do say with continued technical improvements and development of more efficient image algorithms, which reduce dose, perhaps triple rule out will indeed become more uh, important. So there's lots of different articles. Here's one uh, looking at utilization. Patients with acute chest pain, triple rule-out approach resulted in higher radiation dose, but was not associated with improved diagnostic yield. And go, they go through some of the different information in terms of management of patients. So it really wasn't quite as helpful in their uh, series as one might expect, particularly looking at downstream utilization. Um, CAPTURE was a study dedicated to really looking at this. Great study, randomized trial to compare the efficiency of a comprehensive CT examination in the ER for acute chest pain. Half the patients underwent a CT protocol uh, dedicated to assess coronaries, pulmonary embolism, aortic dissection, or they typically had a dedicated cardiac protocol. And what they found, and here's their conclusion, um, although the triple rule-out protocol might be helpful in the evaluation of select patient, these findings suggest that it should not be used routinely with the expectation that it will improve efficiency or reduce resource use. So again, very, very important. Consensus in the literature, again, most sites are not doing it. Less than 10 sites are doing it. If you're going to use it, use it selectively. You need to work with the referring physicians so it's not overutilized. That's really the key thing. You also need to look at protocols, and I'll just show you these protocols. If you look at CT as us, we have the protocols listed. Here's a Siemens uh, protocol for their definition. Uh, again, you could look at the volume, 147 cc's injection rate. Here's a GE protocol on their light speed VCT. And again, here they're using 120 cc's, two sets of different injection rates. So you've seen the literature. I've kind of brought you from the beginning of triple rule out. Again, where Halpern and Associates made the point that it is something reasonable to do. Nothing's changed uh, since that time. We're able to do it better, surely, with the faster scanners like a dual source. It's much easier to do. I think it's a real challenge on a 64. Again, the literature is going to change. More and more people are doing it. We're going to see the outcomes. If you do it, be very careful. Really work on your protocols. And I think when used correctly, it is indeed a strong study. And with that, thank you very much for your attention.